turn to Titus chapter number one for our text uh, this evening. <clears throat> Titus chapter number one, verse 15. It says, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be preaching uh, the third part of the series that we started on the doctrines of grace. And we'll be getting into total depravity tonight. And we sort of set the context in the first message. And last week... We thought about the why of the total depravity. Why it is the world is the way that it is. Why is there sickness? Why is there drought? Why are there plagues and pestilences and, and sicknesses and disease? Hurricanes and tornadoes. Why is it that um, little kids get sick and die? Why is it that there are wars. Well, it's because of sin, because this earth is cursed by sin. God created Adam and Eve without sin. Adam was not deceived, but Adam sinned, and according to God's covenant, and according to what God told him, the day that he ate thereof, he died. And when he did, he brought death and destruction and sorrow and misery and pain into the world. Adam lived in light, and he brought darkness into this world. Adam and Eve fell from their state of incorruption, to which they were created, to a state of corruption. From a state where his mind was pure, and his mind was without sin, and his mind was direct, and his heart was directed to only good and holy things, to where his mind was now directed towards sinfulness and unholy things and corruption. They fell from righteousness to unrighteousness. They fell from only wanting to do what was right according to God's will to desiring to do what is wrong. They went from having a conscience undefiled to having a defiled conscience. They went from having all things pure to nothing being pure at all. They fell from communion with God to being dead in their trespasses and sins. From walking with God and talking with Him and communing with Him to hiding from God and lying to God and, and trying to shift the blame of their sin on, on others and even God himself. So when Adam sinned, his body and soul were corrupted and defiled. And the earth was cursed and the, the thorns grew and, and the woman's, um, when she, her, her childbirth became cursed and painful. A man's work became 
cursed and, and difficult and, and wearisome. But not only just Adam, but all of the human race. Adam, as our head, our representative, when he fell and was guilty of that transgression, his guilt was imputed to us. But not only was his guilt imputed to us, but so his nature. And so every child that has been born since has been born with that nature, that broken, defiled, corrupted, disobedient, impure nature that follows after that same pattern of of rebellion and sinfulness. That's how we got here. That's why the world is the way that it is. That's the reason why we are the way that we are. We sin because we are sinners. Not because of where we grew up. Some people think that they're better than other people because of where they were born and where they grew up. And they look down their noses at people um, that are born in one part of the country as, a part, as opposed to the other. Or if he's born in the, the city, you're better than those who are born in the country, or even vice versa. Or if you're born in this country, you're just a whole lot holier than if you were born in that country. Well, that's just not the case. No matter where you, you grow up, no matter where you're born, no matter what country you're born into, no matter what home that you're born into, we are born into this world with that same nature. And it's not because of lack of money. It's not because of lack of education. It's not because of bad influences. Now, all these things could make a person worse than worse. I mean, if you grow up and have bad parents and bad friends and and you're taught bad things your whole life, you're probably going to be worse than if you had good parents who taught you good things. But that doesn't change what we are, and that is sinners. So you might be a polite sinner, you might be a rich sinner or a poor sinner, or um, a menace to society as a sinner, or you might be a good citizen as a sinner, but the, the fact remains that we are all sinners before God. Because we break God's law, we transgress against God's law, we are naturally inclined to do to, to rebel against our God. Why? Because we are children of Adam and we have his guilt and his nature. Now the scripture proves this. The scripture tells us, reveals us to us rather, that, that we are um, depraved by nature. You won't find the scripture saying that men are good and, and um, are corrupted through bad influences. You won't find the Bible telling us that we must reform ourselves and to do better and act better or to ignite that flame of, of goodness that is within us. But the Bible tells us particularly bluntly throughout the scriptures who we are and what we are. The Bible tells it to us straight that we are, um, we are sinners. Now, total depravity does not mean that we do all the bad things that a person is capable of. But we are 
thoroughly corrupted from top to bottom through the, um, the imputed guilt uh, of Adam's sin. That from that original sin, we are born into this world sinners. And so, understand that a baby who is born is not born in a neutral state, but born a sinner. That's how we have to, well, that, that will help us. That will help us live our lives. It'll help us understand ourselves. It'll help us understand our spouses and our children to know, um, to know who we are and what we are. When Caitlin and Dylan, before they got married, I, we, we talked a little bit about um, the fact that two sinners were about to, to uh, be united. And, and so now they went from two sinners in two different houses into two sinners in one house. And that's the same thing with us uh, who were married. Whenever you got married, it's uh, when two sinners join together. There's a book that is a pretty good book. It's called When Two Sinners Say I Do. And the whole concept of the book is you have to realize that the person you're married is a sinner. And they're a sinner by nature. They're a sinner by choice. That that their nature is that they will do bad things and, and they will they will they will let you down and they will um, sin against you and sin against God because that's who they are. And so uh, the, the point of the book is, though, you, have, you know them not going in, that two Christian people can be gracious towards one another and kind towards one another and help one another. But just to know, the fact is that we are born sinners. Jeremiah uh, 17, 9, another familiar passage along this line, tells us about the natural heart. So it's not, again, an environment from the outside that works in us, but it starts from the inside and works out. Jeremiah 17, um, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's incurably sick. The heart is in a condition to where you can't go to the heart doctor and get this fixed. You can't go to a psychiatrist and get this fixed. You can't go and get a self-help book and get this fixed. I was listening to some uh, YouTube videos um, um, while I was at work, I had it on in the background, and it was just uh, some guys, and they was talking about uh, some self-help stuff, you know, like um, how to overcome this uh, deficiency and that deficiency. And, and they may have had some good advice, but they never did get down to the root problem. It's talking about why people are afraid or, or why people can't apologize and why people um, are thin-skinned and... Um, it's like how to, to, to overcome being thin-skinned. Somebody makes a joke about you and you get all upset and, and 
that they were they were giving some good advice, but they never really get down to the heart of the issue. What's the heart of the issue? Well, we're proud, aren't we? Pride is the heart of the issue. And they, they even talked about that, being pride, but, but why? And they said, well, this is what you have to do to overcome it. But it, it, it was just more works. It was more law. It never did get to the heart of the, the problem. So it never did give a good solution to the problem, which is, is a sinful heart, an incurable heart. People have proud hearts because they're, they have wicked hearts. Desperately wicked, incurably sick. Who can know it? That that that's a a desperate situation. You go to the doctor, and if you're feeling bad, you're you're hoping the doctor can give you some answers, and you're hoping that the doctor can say, "Okay, we'll get you on this plan, and if we go this plan, then we have the hope for this resolution." We go to Dr. Jeremiah, and Dr. Jeremiah said, I'm sorry. You've got an incurable disease, and there's nothing we can do about it. Your heart is beyond repair. Your heart is beyond cure. Oh, but Dr. Jeremiah, I'll, I'll try harder. I'll do better. I'll, 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 I'll work harder. No, I'm sorry. It's desperately wicked. It's thoroughly broken. But I can change. I can change. I, I didn't know. I didn't know before. I know now I'll change. I'll do better. You may have seen this going around the, the, the internet, but um, I don't know where it was, but there was a sheep um, that was hopping along, and there was a, a ditch or something in the road, and that sheep had jumped down into the ditch, and all that was sticking out was his hind legs. And... Um, Boy goes and grabs it by the hind legs and pulls the sheep out. I mean, it was completely submerged in that ditch and it was stuck, couldn't get out. Pulls the sheep out. The sheep jumps and just happy as can be, goes about 20 feet, 20 yards down the road, tries to jump over the ditch again and just goes head first right into it and right back down in it and all it's sticking out is his hind legs. And I thought, well, there, there's me, you know. There may, there's me, a sheep that, that, that rescued and delivered, gets back out on the path and just no time at all before I'm right back down in. Uh, you know, that's the way we are. We, 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 might, we might reform ourselves for a little while, but it doesn't change what's on the inside. In the 13th chapter, Jeremiah gives this illustration about whether or not we can change. Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? I don't think so. You can't change the color of your skin. Or the leopard is spots. Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. As soon as the Ethiopian can change the skin color at will, or as soon as the leopard can, can growl and change the spots to stripes at a command, then those who are accustomed to do evil can start doing good. It's ingrained in the fabric of our soul. For there is not a man that sinneth not, 1 Kings 8.46 says. 
Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. David said that he was shaping in iniquity and in sin did his mother conceive him. Paul told us the scripture hath concluded all under sin. The conclusion of the matter, all of scripture from beginning to end has concluded that we are all under sin. The works of the flesh, which is just the natural inclination of human beings, is all geared towards wickedness. In Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 19, listen to what the Bible tells us is the works of the flesh. Now this is just the natural inclination of man. Galatians 5.19 Adultery Now the works of the flesh are manifest or, or they're revealed, they're shown to us. Adultery Fornication So we'll just stop right there. Why, why is it that why is it that there's so much sinfulness, sexual sinfulness in our nation? So, well, it's because of TV and movies. It's because of um, it's because of uh, this agenda or that agenda. No, it is because we have forsaken God and forsaken God's laws. We have forsaken His way, and God has given us over to a reprobate mind. And he has given us over as a society to, to what we want to do. See, we are in the midst of God's judgment as we speak. And God's judgment for, for a nation doesn't have to be fire and brimstone from the skies. It would appear the judgment upon our nation is for God to let us do whatever we want to do to remove the restraints of the law and to remove the restraints of, of goodness. And just let man do whatever he wants to do. And that's why you have the adultery and fornication that we have in this, in this country from the earliest of ages. That's why you have people trying to corrupt the minds of five-year-olds to, to talk to them about things that no one should be thinking about, quite honestly, but, but to talk to them, uh, to, 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 to twist their minds. Why? Because that's the natural man, left to himself. Uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. You let a people go without any bonds, and what will they do? They'll make idols. And worship um, dark things, and and worship forbidden things. That's just what we want to do. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Why is there so much hatred in the world? Why is there so much anger in the world? Why is there so much strife? Why why is our country um, fighting amongst themselves, well, partly because it is the, the works of the flesh. 
Because the natural man wants to fight. The natural man wants to strive. The natural man wants to tear down and to tear his, his neighbor down. That the natural man does not love his neighbor. The natural man does not love um, the, those, his, his enemy. We look out for ourselves and fight and strive and, and go for ourselves. That, that's just the way that we are. That's our, that's our nature. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So we might think, well, why are, why are young people um, so much worse off? And say, well, it's because of education. Or it's because a lack of discipline. Well, th- that, is, that is the case. But if you stop and think about this for a second, you say, oh, it's because of a lack of discipline. Parents don't discipline their kids when they're young. And so little sinners grow up to be big sinners. And, and you say, well, there, there's the problem. Well, all that does is illustrate the fact of the depravity of man. And what I mean by that is it, it shows you that if you don't discipline, if you don't instruct people, they will naturally do what is wrong. So... The Bible tells us that we must discipline. We must instruct children. You have to do it when they're young. You can't wait until they're teenagers and then you start saying, okay, now I'm going to start teaching you the way. That's like if you've got a tree that's kind of bent over crooked when it's a sapling, you can bend it and get it back going the right direction. But you can't wait till that tree is... 30 foot tall and decide, well, I need to get that tree bent in the right direction. Well, it's too late now. It's whichever way it's growing, that's the way it's going to grow. But the, the fact is, the reason that you have to do that is because if you don't, they will do what is by nature. And that is the works of the flesh. So it's the, the, the root of the problem is the sinful nature of humanity. And so going in, we have to say, because we are sinners, I have to instruct these children the right way. Otherwise, they will grow up to do what they want to do. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants a society where children get what they want. Why? Because, we, because of the works of the flesh are manifest. All the sin in the world, the murder and the abortion, the, the lying, the stealing, all these things are the result of a sinful nature. It is just the works of the flesh being worked out. Partaking of these activities doesn't make one depraved. But it is because man is depraved, they do these things. Doing these things doesn't make you a sinner. You do those things because you are a sinner. You may never, you know, you haven't murdered anybody, but the capability resides within you. Whoever hateth his brother is a murderer. What John says in 1 John 3.15. It starts with the hatred in the heart and then works itself out. 
people disdain Christ, who had only did good because of his perfection and his holiness. Why? Because Adam sinned and brought this sin upon us. Now, by nature, we are children of wrath, um, born into this world, children of wrath. And from this original corruption, we are disabled from doing good. We, we just can't, we can't do what is right and pleasing unto God because we are inclined to do evil. That God requires perfect righteousness and it's not within us to do perfect righteousness and we don't even want to do perfect righteousness. We just don't want to do it. Little children don't want to obey mom and dad. They don't want to go to bed when they're told to go to bed. They don't want to eat their vegetables when they're told to eat their vegetables. Why? Because they don't want to. Because that's not what they want to do. They are not inclined to do what mom and dad says to do. You grow up and then you go go to school and you, know, you don't want to do what the teacher tells you to do because you just don't want to do that. You want to do what you want to do. You don't want to listen to authority. Then you grow up and then you get a job and you don't want to do what the boss tells you to do. And you know that you're supposed to be working, but you'll be doing everything else and just beating in time because that's what you want to do. And, 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 and so forth. We, we are just wholly inclined to do evil. And thank God for the restraining hand of, of government um, and the law and the police and so forth because what read uh, the book of Judges and you see what happens when everybody does what's right in their own eyes. There's some pretty d- disturbing stuff in the book of Judges when everybody does what is right in their own eyes. When people are a law unto themselves and there is no higher authority to come in and there's no jails and there's no um, court system and there's no fines and, and you know, that they had laws and so forth, but if nobody's going to take care of them and everybody just does whatever they want, well, it's, it's pretty disturbing what happens. We're just completely corrupted. The good that we do is oftentimes out of selfish motives. Thinking just as in the natural flesh, you know, that it's oftentimes just out of selfish motives. Now, that's not to say that you can't do good things for good people and be a good neighbor and, and that kind of thing. But again, we're inclined to do what is evil, and even when we do good, we don't do it perfectly. Even being saved, you know that when you do good, there's still, you don't do it as good as you'd like to, and there's still that uh, imperfection even in your good works. We're just, we're just corrupted thoroughly. And because of that, 
there's a total corruption, there's also a total inability. We're born children of wrath, inclined to do what's evil, dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says that not only are we dead in our trespasses and sins, but the book of Romans chapter 6 tells us that we are slaves to sin. That we are under bondage. That not only do we do that which is wicked, but we prefer to do that which is wicked. And given the choice between doing that which is holy and that which is wicked, we would choose to do that which is wicked. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter number 6, in verse 44, No man, not some men, not few men, but no man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. No one could, even if they wanted to, come to God. Because you don't have the ability. Unwilling and unable to come to Christ. So even if there was the off chance that someone became willing to, because the Bible says that there's none that seeketh after God. But, but let's just say somebody decide, could seek after God. And then on their own power, by their own volition, they say, well, I, I want to be saved. Jesus says we don't even have that ability to even if we wanted to. Because no man can come to him unless he's drawn by, by God. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We didn't have Romans 5, 6. We didn't have strength. We didn't have power. We couldn't do that. That's why the Bible tells us we must be born again. Jesus says you have to be born again, you have to be regenerated. Andrew Fuller said if there were any degree of virtue in the carnal heart, or if there is anything that was pleasing to God, it might be cultivated and increased. It's like you wake up camping, you wake up and there's just a few little coals there, and you wake up and it's cold in the morning, and and you start blowing on those coals, hoping that you can get that fire going that had just about died down through the night. And you blow on it, and, and it gets a little bit brighter red, a little bit brighter red, and, and then bursts into a flame. Well, your heart's not like that. It's not like you have just a little spark down in your heart, and it just takes a little work and a little um, motivation, a little pointing in the right direction, and you get that heart flaming for God. No. You can't, there's nothing there that can be cultivated and increased. Otherwise, when Paul said old things pass away and all things become new, that's a pointless passage. Because old things didn't have to pass away, did they? All things don't have to become new if there was something there to work with. Regeneration would be unnecessary. A mere reformation or an improvement of principles already inherent in man would suffice. But Jesus said, no, you must be born again. We're totally, thoroughly um, corrupt, unable 
and unwilling to come to Christ. If there was some way of reforming our souls, then we'd do it. And if there was some way to do it, the Bible would tell us how. We would go to, um, we would go to that chapter, and it would say, chapter number one, how to, how to reform a dead soul. And you would start at, at point number one and do point number one and go to point number two, and then you would do that. But the Bible says you must be born again. You're dead in trespasses and sins. You must be quickened unto life. The Bible doesn't speak of salvation terms like that, but it talks about being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, purchased by the blood of the Lamb, saved. If, if I'm at work and I'm doing my job and somebody comes over and helps me, they can help me, but they haven't saved me. Right? They, they, they might have assisted me. They didn't save me. If I wreck my car and I'm unconscious and the car is on fire and somebody stops and pulls my body out, away, out of the car and away from the flames before the car explodes, they have saved me. I was in a position of peril without which their help, I would have died. Well, that's what Jesus did to us. He saved us. He didn't help us. He didn't encourage us. He didn't put us on the right path. He, he saved us. He redeemed us. We have regeneration, the new birth. He justifies us. These terms exclude us from reforming our nature and condemns us um, if, if Christ does not work in grace. There's no option of reformation. Scripture is clear we must be born again. We must have a new life, a new heart. So we go to Dr. Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, I'm sorry, your case is dire. Your heart is, is corrupt. It's desperately wicked. It's incurably broken. And, and, and you say, Dr. Jeremiah, what, what do I do? What course of action can, can I go to? And he'll say, there's nothing you can do. Your, your heart is without repair. And then you say, but there is no hope, Dr. Jeremiah? And, and Jeremiah would say, well, that's two different questions, isn't it? You asked me what I can do, what you can do. Well, you can't do anything. But that's not to say that you're not without hope. And that is the, the point of, the, of, of this doctrine. That is why that is, that's why this doctrine is important, I should say. I don't guess it's the point, but that's why it's important for us to know. It's not a very pleasing doctrine. It, it, it's not something that I enjoy thinking about. Looking in the mirror and seeing what's there is not a pleasing sight whenever you're thoroughly corrupted. Looking into the mirror of the Word of God and seeing what I am in my flesh, seeing the truth of it, it's not a very good situation to be in until you get the good news. 
Now, we have that bad news that you're just without hope. There's nothing I can do, Jeremiah. No, there's nothing you can do. The prognosis is clear. You, you've got a terminal illness of, of a sick and twisted heart. This disease of sin has so infiltrated your heart, there's no medicine, there's no uh, works that you can do, there's no workout, there's no program you can get back on to get back on the, old, the good track. It's a hope, it's a situation without remedy of your own power. But there is the great physician. And what the great physician will do is he will come and first cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and he will, he will clean you with his own precious blood to where you are without sin. And then he'll take that heart of stone and we'll just get rid of it. We won't, we won't put stents in. We won't put a pacemaker in. We'll just, we'll just open you up and just throw it, in it, throw it away. We don't need that anymore. He'll give us a new heart. And this new heart will, have, will be a heart inclined to loving him. And it'll be a heart inclined to doing what is right. And it'll be a heart that'll be inclined to keeping his law. And it'll be a heart filled with the love of Christ. And it'll be a heart to where you will desire to do God's law. And it'll be a heart that you will desire to hear good things. It won't be like that old heart that is twisted and, and set on dead works. But it'll be a new heart, a heart that he gives us with, with his law written upon it. Then he'll give us new life and, and, and then set us free from the bondage of sin. Instead of having the imputed sin of Adam, we'll have the imputed righteousness of Christ. And how do we get that? Well, we get it by faith. Because we can't work for it. We're depraved. Romans chapter 3 will tell you from top to bottom. Your, your feet, your eyes, your tongue, your mind, your heart. It's all bent towards sin. So what do we need? We need somebody to come and rescue us. We need somebody to, to give us life, to quicken us from our dead, uh, deadness, spiritual deadness to give us life and life everlasting. We have to be born again. We have to be cleansed. How do we do it? By his grace. You can't do anything to get this, but look to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's... that's the part of the good news, whenever you realize there's nothing that you can do, well, you, you quit trying to do something. And you look to the one and the only one that can save you and say, Lord, save me. Don't, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. The Lord shows us how undone that we are, that we are thirdly depraved in order that we might see that we are hopeless without him in order that we might see Christ and him crucified as our only hope of salvation and turn to him. And so the application of this is for us as Christians to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for saving us completely. And when we go and witness to people and talk to lost people to remember that it's not because of 
an intellectual problem, and it's not an economical problem, but it's a spiritual problem. And to know their only hope is Christ. And so we can offer them the cure. We, I know how I was saved. You know how you were saved. And so we offer, we, we point them to Jesus is what we do. He is the one that can save. He is, he is the only one that can save. And trust in his sovereign grace. We can look to one another. And know that while we have been cleansed of all unrighteousness, we're still in this flesh and we still sin and we're still battling against that sin nature that we're born with, that, that though we have that new heart and though we have a new nature, we still have that old sin, that old man still dwells within us. And that old man dwells within me and that old man dwells within you. And sometimes that old man will get the best of us. And we'll not, we'll, we'll not do like we ought to do. And we'll not, we'll not do like we want to do. And so we can be patient with one another and long-suffering with one another. Because you know the great struggle that I have just like I know the great struggle you have. Because of the power of that, that, that flesh. That thoroughly corruption. But we can praise God together. That he's sanctifying us. And we're not what we were five years ago. None of us are. And we're not what we're going to be five years from the future and, and a thousand years in the future either when we're all with the Lord. He, he's, he's sanctifying us. And he's going to make us holy. And, and so when we think about this depravity, uh, let, it, let it always get us to Christ. Let it, let it always point us to Christ and, and, and remember what we have in him and the hope that we have in Christ. I pray the Lord bless the message tonight and hope that we... Thankful for what God has given us and